Hello, it's Betsy, and here's the lineup for the Pop and Collars feed in February 2021. Yes, you've made it to the second month of 2021. Good job. Video may have killed the radio star, but it did not kill our topic on this month's Pop and Collars. We pick our most memorable music videos. We've got a new show in the feed this month. It's called The Canon. Listen to us go toe-to-toe as we attempt to draft the ultimate collection of movies from the filmography of Robin Williams. Greg and I are just getting started with the movies of 1990 on Going on 30. This month, we're checking out the winner of the 1991 Oscar for Best Picture, Dances with Wolves. Finally, The Sacred Six continues this month with our deep dive into The Wire. We're exploring the controversy of the port storyline in season two with the episode Bad Dreams. Thanks for listening and keep those collars popped. I would like to invite us each to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where I am currently living, the Powhatan, the Monacan, the Cherokee nations, and where Greg is currently living, the Tequesta, the Tanio, and the Seminole. We acknowledge the fact of their dispossession and to pay respect to their elders past and present. This is Greg. This is Betsy. And this is Going on 30, a Popping Collars side project where we see the frontier of movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago before they're gone. Before they're gone. Oh, Greg. This month, we're looking at the winner of Best Picture in the year 1991. Dances with Wolves. Just here that you've been decorated and they sent you here to be posted. Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. Why? I've always wanted to see the frontier. Do you want to see the frontier? Yes, sir. Before it's gone. There ain't nothing here, Lieutenant. Everybody's run off or got killed. What about Indians? Um, I have a brief description of this movie, Betsy. Would you like to hear it? Is it historically accurate? It's incredible how brief this description is based on the fact that it's about a six hour long movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Good. Well, I'm glad that the summary does not mirror the length of this film. (laughs) Wounded Civil War soldier John Dunbar, played by Kevin Costner tries to commit suicide and becomes a hero instead. As a reward, he's assigned to his dream post, a remote junction on the Western frontier 
where he soon makes unlikely friends with the local Sioux tribe. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, Betsy, what is your history with Dances with Wolves? So I saw this movie in the theater. I have to admit that I blocked out the beginning of this movie. <laughs> I must have, maybe when we rented it, I like fast forwarded because I did not remember the beginning of this movie very well. And Oh, the whole like riding the horse across the battlefield. Right. And the, the weird general guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't remember any of that stuff. I kind of remember the farting uh, <laughs> wagon guy, but I didn't remember a lot of the beginning of the movie. Farting wagon guy was on Murphy Brown. Yes, and that's he was. what I, that's what I knew him from. Elton was that his name? Yes, on Murphy Brown. And the summer of 1992, I actually went out to South Dakota and mm-hmm. went on a. We had a companion diocese relationship with the diocese of South Dakota and the diocese of Alabama. We rode on a bus from Alabama to South Dakota, and we worked on. A reservation we had two groups one group i think i it's it's really very much now that i teach the fallacies of service learning and you know work projects and mission trips i think we essentially moved a big pile of dirt and gravel from one part of a work site to another like they shouldn't have it shouldn't have given us as teenagers any real jobs and then our bible study was essentially playing with children and so okay. that's what we were doing. So very much a, now that I can look back both on the movie and on that experience, some problematic tones. Yeah. So um, we'll see. What about you? Well, I, okay. So here's what I'm starting to learn about my parents' movie collection, which oh. we're steadily going through yes. uh, as we do this podcast. What I'm starting to learn is that when they got their Columbia subscription or whatever it was that ended up getting them like 12 VHS tapes for like a penny or whatever i'm learning that they must have gone through a list of like what won best picture at the oscars or what was nominated for best picture at the oscars because this tape was in the collection and Mm. it was one of my like go-to movies to watch Mm. i i remember I, i i haven't seen it in years however when i watched it for this podcast it was like I had just watched it yesterday. Like I knew beat for beat exactly what was going to happen. And it right. should be pointed out, this movie feels like it's six hours long. So that's a lot of stuff to it remember. Is. General thoughts. What are your hot takes hot about Dances takes. with Lows? So you and I, we spoke about this maybe a little less than a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that we both went down a, a wormhole after this movie, after watching it. Talking yeah. about looking at the Sioux, the Pawnee, the issues of American Indians, and, that, and just the whole, oh, just we went both went down Google wormholes mm-hmm. on all of that, right? Problematic mm-hmm. things in this movie around the dialect that's used, that it's a female dialect being spoken by male actors, you know, the Sioux. The Pawnee are the bad guys, you know, and they're 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 portrayed as this still this stereo. So here's my here. Okay, so here's the global hot take. Global okay. hot take is there's a lot that this movie is trying to do well, trying to you know cast native actors. They're trying to kind of do all of this kind of work. But the the my overall problem with it now watching it again is that it's all from the white gaze. It's just they're trying so hard 
It's like, look, Indians are human and they, they have families and relationships and they're just like you and I, while we're still demonizing the Pawnee and making them the bad guys, but it's still so much white gaze looking at native culture. The, you know, all, the whole movie, he's auditioning to be the best white guy candidate to be an Indian. That is probably some of my, that's my global problem. Wow. Okay. With wow. The movie. That's coming in hot. Um, I was also thinking about this idea of whose, whose story is it? You know, whose perspective is it? And absolutely, like Kevin Costner takes you know a central role in this and it is this story of a white man experiencing lakota culture but the movie is called dances with wolves like it's not called like it's wind about, in his hair it's his story. bird yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it's his story so yeah it's gonna be from a white perspective and you know i'm still a little cynical enough to think that like yeah and that's the kind of movie that you're gonna sell 30 years ago Right, Which and then that, like, that that argument always makes me feel bad because then right. it's always that part. Well, remember the time and remember the way it was, and yeah, no, no, and sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, to have movies like you know, less than six years later, and other movies like Smoke Signals and other things like this mm -hmm. that are really kind of exploring more of the story from the right perspective that is then also then making fun of dances with wolves in that movie yes, yes yes and that's the thing like if you're telling a story about this population like for instance um chloe Zhao's uh the writer that came out what two years ago stunning stunning moving movie one of the best movies of 2018 uh someone who's an outsider to this you know, to this community, but is able to tell the stories of that community really well. You know, not to be an apologist for the year 1990, but I think Kevin Costner knows what this movie is and makes that movie, not the movie that maybe we want it to be. This was a screenplay and mm -hmm. Costner really liked it, but it wasn't getting picked up by anybody. So right. Costner encouraged the writer to publish it as a book but then he could have the rights and the option on it because he was looking to do both of because what he did is he wrote it and he directed it. Yeah. And so he's, you know, Costner, Costner Tastic, this entire production. Any more uh hot takes? I have a couple. Go. Uh it's not really a movie. Oh. <laughs> it's it's actually it's a mini series. And it probably should have been a miniseries. Like a lonesome dove kind of yes, situation. This is this is a this is a miniseries. If it was made now, this would be a Netflix miniseries. This would not be a movie. No, I agree. Um, and it's fascinating to think that 30 years ago they were like, Yeah, let's let's throw this, you know, three and a half hour jobber out there and see what kind of awards it can win. It's like, oh my gosh, really? Like I, I was sitting there watching this thinking. Okay, where would the intermission be? Because who's sitting through this? Like, this right. is a lot of movie. It can definitely be chopped up episodically. And that would actually probably help navigate the parts of the story that I think you are brushing up against, which is like, okay, well, tell me a different perspective. If it was more episodic and a mini series, I think you could do that better. You know, Kicking Bird has a better episode if we're able to focus on him for an entire episode. Can we do a quick check-in about the fact that they used, like, two trained animals for this movie, Cisco and Two Socks? I mean, <laughs> my sister, there was, a, there was a Twitter feed going on around New Year's, and it was, uh, 
keep one actor and replace everybody else with Muppets? <laughs> How would the movie be? And she said, keep two socks, replace everybody else in Dancing with Wolves. There's some dead animals in this movie. At least there are some. Oh, the buffalo. Yeah. Dead animals mm. in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking of like, you know, increasing the level of difficulty for you as a filmmaker. So not only are you directing a movie where you're in every shot, but you're also going to work with two different animals. On set. I mean, the only thing this movie's missing is children. <laughs> That's right. Working with kids, kids and animals. But they got their wranglers. I mean, both, both Cisco and Two Sacks, you know, the actors who played them, they did mm-hmm. nice work. And that is one of those like sad scenes. Oh, oh, heartbreaking. Oh, oh my gosh. Socks on the hill there with the. Absolutely. He and won't leave his is, side. And, and it just further helps Costner's resume of being the best white guy in the world. That's right. When every other white person you run into is terrible. That's right. They're the worst. He had a chance to shoot two socks. Didn't do it. Betsy, this, this is great because it brings me to my top five. Betsy, top five. <laughs> mismatched animal duos in movies count me down starting at number five. Oh man so last episode it was beardiest yeah. robin williams yeah. performances yeah now now top five top five mismatched animal duos so these can't be animals of the same species these are mismatched animal duos. okay got it so we've got to okay okay all right. right, so number five. What's number five, Greg? So I can get a little bit of the flavor of this top five. Uh, okay, hold on. I got an honorable mention. <clears throat> okay. Um, I don't know if this counts. This is why I put it as an honorable mention. Rocket and Groot from Guardians. I mean, Groot's a tree. I get it. But it's kind of mismatched, you know, right? Yeah. Okay. 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 Number, number five. The Cowardly Lion and Toto. Great dynamic duo there. Really good stuff. <laughs> So, so far you have, you're having pairings of one of them is able to speak. So yes. I'm finding that interesting. Okay. Yes, it, absolutely. It, it allows us to get here into Here we've got neither of them are speaking. Exactly, exactly. Okay. What's number four? Number four, Milo and Otis. Oh. Great combo. Really Great looked out combo. for each other. Love mm-hmm. them. They're awesome. Give us number three. <laughs> number three. After your sister's heart, Kermit and Fozzie. I'm going Kermit and Fozzie as the duo instead of Kermit and Piggy. Because I the way they look like a really fun road trip duo. They do. Yeah, they do. It's a good playlist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Number two. Timon and Pumbaa. Uh, Great couple of guys to hang out with. You do have to eat a lot of bugs, but otherwise really fun pair. And again, like Dances with Wolves, farts. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of farts. Drummer, please. The number one. Number one mismatched Miss animal, animal duo, duo in a movie. In a movie. Charlotte and Wilbur. True love right there. Charlotte yeah. and Wilbur. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right, Betsy. What's the best scene from Dancing with Wolves? Best scene. If we're going to talk about pulling at my heartstrings. Mm hmm. It's really the relationship between Wind and his hair. Oh. And Dunbar.
And when they're pulling off at the end and he's yelling at the top of the Don't you know that you are my friend? Friend, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That that you know, as critical as I am of this film, mm-hmm. there was there was there was a tear there. Yeah. As as my entire family abandoned me over the over the time I had convinced them all to watch this movie with me. Uh-huh. And by the end, they were all gone. It was me alone <laughs> crying. I agree with you. I love that scene. I think that um, on rewatch this time, I don't think that I had ever appreciated the fact that the first time yes. Wind in His Hair confronts Dunbar is when he's when he says, don't you see that I'm not afraid of you? And then it gets echoed in this scene where he says, dances with wolves, don't you see that you're my friend? Yeah, because if yeah. you think you're looking at all the different relationships in the movie, whether yeah. it's Dunbar and Kicking Bird, Dunbar and Saves of the Fist, because it's all about Dunbar, Dunbar and Wind in His Hair, Dunbar and Examples, that I think the wind in his hair, that that has the most complexity, I feel like, to me. Yeah, I think so. I agree. My best scene is maybe what makes them become friends, which is the buffalo hunt scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, it's just... Really amazing filmmaking, and I just I get I kept like rewinding it and trying to watch to see like how far are these actors away from the buffalo. Like you can tell that they're buffalo, you can tell that they're in the same space as the actors, but there's no way that they're riding side by side with these buffalo. I don't know. It was just it was a total trick of the camera, total trick of the eye. But I mean, just communicated like so much about, you know, they filmed that on a Buffalo farm, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know how uh, Dunbar approaches a Buffalo hunt as like a soldier with a gun versus like how the tribe conducts the Buffalo hunt with like no saddles, bow and arrows and stuff. Really cool. Um, I do have a honorable mention best scene for me, which is uh, Ten Bears, Chief Ten Bears and the mm-hmm. Conquistador helmet and the story of the the first, you know, kind of initial interaction with colonizers. Well, and I listened Americans. to a podcast that said that whole story <laughs> means that 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 should not be a Sioux story. Mm. And it is probably not the Sioux who had interactions with Spanish conquistadors uh, that it's other have, tribes. They could have gone that far north. I mean, the S- Spanish were so far into the West. Um, there's past- another tribe and I forget now. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I forget which Florida. One it, is. Yeah. it is a better match out West. Mm-hmm. It probably be a tribe who could tell who would have that helmet. Yeah. That story. It's a great scene though. It's a great scene. Ten bears. Yeah. Um, best uh, performance from the movie. Two socks. No. Two socks is great. Two socks is pretty good. Um, I am going Graham Green. Yeah, Love kicking yeah. Butt Honestly, this this movie makes his career. You uh, finish your pipe. Does it smoke? I've never smoked it. We come far, you and me. I will not forget you. 
And I think it's interesting too that we're really dealing with, like when I started going down a you know, wormhole of native actors or actors that get cast in native roles, mm-hmm. that that's it's very interesting when you're looking at a particular population that has had a long history of being played by white people in American cinema. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, well, now we're casting people who are, you know, from the population, but then that's all you get to play. And that that's still something that is being, we're, we're still in the midst of all of it. Oh, sure. totally. Absolutely. And um, just as a recommendation, I would recommend the documentary Real Engine, R-E-E-L Engine, I-N-J-U-N. Used to be playing on um, Netflix, I think, but um, does a great job of talking about exactly what you're saying, like taking roles away from Native peoples, putting white actors into them, the long history of how Native Americans are portrayed in Hollywood, and the effects that that has on uh, reservation life um, and how how a people perceive themselves based on the stories that are told about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really good documentary. Real yeah. engine. I don't know and where I've, it's playing now. Yeah. Really and I mentioned Smoke Signals earlier, which was, I think, one of those movies that kind of, when I was in college, kind of broke open some of that. Oh, you know, just it was a different view of reservation life than I had been given yeah. on that trip in high school. So. Yeah. I like Mary McDonald in this movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like she is really good at what she's doing, but she needs more to do. Like if she had a little bit more, then it would be great. Um. Hello, you here? Good. Thank you. I feel good. I feel good. Soldier fort. Wait, you come wait, there. Wait, wait, wait. What is your names? Their names. What is his name? Chachapiki Slaveachi. Do, do. Chaklo Kowagalu Secha. He, he, he kicked. Kick. Kick. Honk. More. More kick. More kicking. Kicking. More kick. Kicking. Bird. Bird. Kicking bird. Kicking bird. Zintka Nagwaka. Zintka Nagwaka. What is he? Uh, is he chief? No. Takiyahua. A holy man, holy man. If we went with your miniseries concept, she would have had more to do. We don't need to add any more to this movie. No, no, we have we have plenty with this movie. We got enough. I've got some stats about stats, 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 stats. Dances with Wolves opened on November 9th. 1990. Funny, right? I would have pegged this as a December movie, but no- November came out before. Well, people, they knew they needed a couple of holidays to get people's butts in the chairs. That's true. Hours. That's true. I mean, this is one of those movies where it's like you had to kind of figure out 
the movie schedule yeah. at the theater, right? Yeah, to not be many able screenings. to fit in as many screenings right. as you could of this movie. Not many screenings of Dances no. with Wolves going on. No. Uh, domestic gross of $184 million. What a hit. Is that good? I don't really know how to do Okay, so $100 million means you're a blockbuster. So if you're pulling in 184 in 1990 dollars, you're doing really, with a three really three-hour movie. With a three-hour movie, yeah, you're doing really, really well. Okay. So this was a not only a hit, it's a mega hit. The number three grossing movie of 1990. It is the number 245th top grossing movie of all time. And here it comes, oh, Fort okay. Mary Kill. Here's your triple feature. Okay. You get Dances with Wolves coming between Pitch Perfect 2. Not one, not, not three. One. Nope. Pitch two. Perfect 2 and Batman Forever. Uh, Batman Forever is Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. Oh, Val no. Kilmer, Nicole Kidman uh, had the amazing soundtrack, right? With you 2 Hold yeah. Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. And I want to say Kiss from a Rose. By Seal was on that soundtrack. Oh, that was a good soundtrack. Oh, a great soundtrack. Batman Forever. So you get Pitch Perfect 2, Dances with Wolves, Batman Forever, Flirt, Mary Kill. <laughs> okay, I'm going to... Oh, God. <laughs> this is hard. Okay, I'm going to flirt with Dances with Wolves, kill Pitch Perfect 2, and marry Batman Forever. That's hard. It's the Jim Carrey of it all, right? Jim Carrey. Yeah, making me make choices. Yeah. I'm going to flirt with Batman forever. I'm going to marry Dances with Wolves. I'm going to kill Pitch Perfect too. <laughs> Poor Anna Kendrick. Ugh. Well, I mean, that's just, that's just, she was, it was a bad draw. Yeah, it was. That's a tough beat being in the middle of those three. Yeah, agreed. Um, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert, short and simple review. A simple story, magnificently told. Four out of four stars. Loves this is, it. This is Rogers. Okay. On the other hand, Janet Maslin, who I think liked this movie, will remind you that Janet Maslin is the film and literary c- critic at the New York Times. I think that she liked this movie. She included it along with, in her review, a lot of movies of 1990 that she identified as sort of spiritually seeking movies. So she she paired this movie with like Ghost. As far as like, you know, people trying to figure out their place in life or their purpose or, you know, stuff like that. Right. So her quote is, Dances with Wolves is a strange hybrid. It's part boy's adventure story and part midlife crisis in action. The process whereby its hero rejects his regimented, shallow, unexamined past life to find new fulfillment is a lot more compelling than its view of the Indian's world. Right. It is interesting the way they that Dunbar becomes kind of oversimplified. Like I'm looking at this movie and I'm like, why is it this man married? Right. Where's his wife and children? Like all of that would have probably been happening. Yeah. Strangely, like really strangely detached for a yeah. lot of the movie to the point that when the romance starts with stands with a fist, you're kind of like, wait, what? I, like, huh? <laughs> I didn't know you had these feelings. After um, all that writing in your diary. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even know. Uh, how did it do at the Oscars? Settle in, Betsy, because this thing won all the Oscars. I have, in addition to winning Best Picture, it also won one, two, three, four, five, six other Oscars. 
it won six other Oscars. It was nominated for how many? It was nominated for, along with Best Picture, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven Oscars. So it won. You want me to do some guessing? It won here? six. Would you like to guess? Guess a handful. Adapted. Yes, it won for Best Adapted Screenplay. You're one for one for director. Six. Best director. Yes, two for six. Kevin Costner. Uh, he was nominated for acting. Yes. He was nominated for acting, but did not win. Did not win. And I know that Graham Greene was nominated for acting, but he did not win. Graham Greene, yes. Um, best nominated. score? Yes, three for three. Best okay. score. John Barry did the score. Okay. It's a really great score. Costumes? Not costumes. Not costumes? No, not costumes. I feel like two of them I should give you because it's going to take a while. It won okay. for best sound, and okay. it won for best Film editing. Well, I could have guessed that based on the Buffalo scene alone. Exactly. There's one more left that I think that you could probably get based on the long, lovely shots of the frontier. Cinematography. Cinematography, exactly. One for best cinematography. Got it. So those are the six Oscars in addition to best picture. You mentioned nominees. Yes, Kevin Costner for best actor. Graham Greene for best supporting actor. Mary McDonald for Best Supporting Actress. Supporting Actress. Well, it's uh, it hard w- when Kevin Costner's taking up all the <laughs> right. It's, it's also nominated for Best Set Direction and Best Costume Design. Okay. So it was nominated for costumes. Okay. Because okay. I got to say, when he put that boot back on his foot. <laughs> and I'm looking at him like there's no arch support there. Yeah. And then the fine acting when he gets off the horse out at the fort and he has to tap his foot on the ground. So totally. Remember that he injured yep. his foot. Yep. But it's a okay now. Show don't tell. Show don't tell. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, I'm just you gotta knock that boot on the ground. Any acting. <laughs> Oscars. Shocking. Lieutenant John J. Dunbar. Lieutenant John J. Dunbar. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Indian fighter, huh? Excuse me? Well, it says here that you're to be posted on the frontier, the frontier's Indian country. I quickly deduce that you're an Indian fighter. I did not ascend to this position by being stupid. No, sir. Never. Just here that you've been decorated. Yes, sir. And they sent you here to be posted? Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. Really? Why? I've always wanted to see the frontier. Do you want to see the frontier? Yes, sir. Before it's gone. Such a smart lad coming straight to me. Uh, Let's talk about the legacy of this movie, Betsy. I have what we have already touched on several times in our discussion, the history of the American West. We are talking about a history built on colonization, subjugation of many, many tribes of people over, I mean, really, we're talking about uh, the decimation of a people over the course of an entire century, over the course of the 19th century, you know, starting with the War of 1812 and then continuing post-Civil War with American aggression into the West as they look to claim lands given away by uh, President Lincoln arbitrarily to just whoever wants to go live in the plains 
um, and slowly, slowly, slowly taking away the Black Hills from the Sioux population and then eliminating just about every other tribe to the smallest possible. slaughtering people. Yeah, so let's talk about, really quickly, uh, we're looking at this movie 30 years later from when it was released. 130 years ago was the massacre of the Dakota Sioux at Wounded Knee, Mm -hmm. which some people call a battle. It was nothing more than uh, white soldiers shooting women and children. That was all it was. It was not a battle. And then five years ago was when the Dakota Access Pipeline was authorized. So those are just the anniversaries. Several things, including the uh, violations of the Fort Laramie Treaties by America against the uh, against the Sioux, um, violations of multiple treaties across the Southwest, the gold rush in the 1840s of America that led to whites wiping out native settlements on the course on their way across the prairie to Oregon to California. So I mean you're just talking about a, a century of devastation. And then we make a little game out of it called Oregon Trail where we uh, totally take out any sort of native population in that game. Mm-hmm. And it's just all about the poor white people and their snake bites and their dysentery. Right. Can they make it? Right. Right. I mean it's it's just it's a genocide that's happening in our country mm-hmm. and now and and now you know the slow genocide of the lack of food access and alcoholism and health benefit health health problems that then make you, know, you look at covid ravaging reservations i mean it's 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 the romanticism of this movie is hard i, I think that the the tough part of the american west and the tough part of history with native peoples is that it's it's a history that's built on you know the English, the French, the Spanish that came to this country making treaties with people and then at the very first turn looking to violate those treaties as quickly as possible to get whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime any of these tribes entered into a good faith relationship with America, they're immediately betrayed and treated as suckers. And whatever it is that we want, that we as America, I'm speaking as an American in this sense, Mm -hmm. want, uh, we just take. And I don't know what that makes us other than complicit liars. Yeah, agreed. I have two more things about the West, just really quickly. Yeah. The myth of westward expansion. It's all just out there for you to go get your hands on. Yeah. Just laying out there totally uninhabited. Yeah, I'm I, like I wrote down the gold rush in California and the Black Hills, Cherokee land in the east, Seminole land in the south. These ideas of what we just take what take what we want because it's owed us because we're because we're here, so we should just keep going until we hit water. Well, because we're just and we we have the better way of doing things. We're more civilized. We, we we've got our stuff together. We we can come up with all the different ways to dehumanize you and make it so you. You know, you don't have a strong system of ownership. You know, mm-hmm. oh, you, what's your religion? Oh, it's hard to explain. Oh, and you don't speak my language. So it's hard for me to know. When you dehumanize people, you can very easily take things from them. Yeah. And and paint the portrait that you're doing it for their own good. Which then that, that part makes it so interesting to have this such a person-centered film and story. Mm-hmm. When, when it's really about the fact that you're, and maybe it is in his own way. He does see that he wants to be a part of something greater. It's yeah. actually great. 
as opposed to his army experience, which has not been very satisfactory. Yeah. And, but it does feel there's a whole backstory we don't get with him. But like, I remember distinctly one of my strongest memories from that trip out to South Dakota was when we watched a storm go across this giant plane in front of us. And you could just watch the lightning and the rain. And it wasn't raining and lightning where we were, but mm-hmm. you could see so much in front of you that you could then see it moving. And yeah. there was something about that that was like, wow. Yeah. That blows me away. I, I think that that would be my last point about the American West is that it is mesmerizing to look at. Like the, just the idea of there's just all this land. I mean, it's just, it is fascinating. If you're used to living in cities and suburbs and crowded areas and stuff and you find yourself just staring at miles of horizon it really is mesmerizing and i totally get like the appeal of it like that sort of just wanting to keep going because you're just not sure where the horizon ends yeah yeah who is this movie for betsy i think this film is for maybe i'll take a cue from janet maslin's collection of movies of seekers (laughs) Yeah. You know, people who are not satisfied with what their life looks like. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a, it's a different flavor of midlife crisis in this movie, but there is this spiritual nature that's happening in this film. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm very careful to say that because I then don't want to be stepping into the white gaze of native people and that they are just so spiritual and centered and they just get it. And they're so connected to the world. And you know, that's this, this white idea about them Uh, but that is it is i think at the time it was for people who were looking for that yeah people who did end up with dream catchers in their house Mm -hmm. you know you know that you know that now we know that you know we probably shouldn't use the term spirit animal in a throw it around kind of way because that's a real thing for a group of people yeah 100 percent. like oh man like what is going on here this is magic yeah Agree totally. That's exactly what I have is this idea of a spiritual seeker, mm-hmm. like whatever that means. Yeah, it's very much feels almost like a it's trying to be some sort of like 1980s antidote an- antidote to, mm-hmm. to the self-centeredness of the 80s. But then it still ends up doing the same thing. Yeah. So it's hard to break out of that pattern. What's your rating for this movie out of five? <sighs> yeah, I think I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Middle of the road. Middle of the road. So I'm guessing three because it's problematic, but pretty. (laughs) Greg, that makes me feel shallow. (laughs) Um, It's, it has such a cultural impact, whether you're happy about it or not. So I think that it offers a reflection of kind of what we were trying to do. Yeah. But it doesn't fully step into really examining problems that, that have been done in later films. Okay. I give it a four out of five. I think that it is a really good movie. Like I think it's I think it's it's just well shot. It's well crafted. The character motivations make sense to me. I feel like it's it's just a it's a good movie that does exactly what I think it sets out to do, which is tell the story of this man moving from being John Dunbar to being Dances with Wolves. That's the whole point of the movie, and the movie does that. 
And to that end, I say that it's a four-star movie to me. There's been talk of uh, another book. Oh. I think. I don't know that it was actually published, but but Costner doesn't do sequels. To be fair, he was in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which was the... You can count that. It's not, there's not a... Spiritual sequel. Two or three or something. The Man of Steel. Why did the Academy nominate this movie? Oh my God! What a facile question. Oh God, why? Why would? Why could, the how could they not? That? How could they not nominate this film? Uh, you know, it is. I'm actually very curious. What are the longest films nominated? Oh man, uh, I would say that this has got to be one of them. Lawrence of Arabia did that win? Another movie that's very much like. <laughs> Movie. Yeah, I mean, it's an epic. Like, Academy Awards love epics. Like, if you can show them yeah. a vast landscape with a lot of people, this is the movie that Academies nominate. Like, this is. It, oh, movie. absolutely. This is like it's here. Let's do it. A1. Uh, it is number 10 in longest movie. Oh, okay. Wins. Give okay, me number nine. So here we go. So it's number 10. Oh, I get to do my own top 10. Yeah, so top 10. At it. 181 minutes, mm-hmm. it's number 10. 183 minutes, number nine, The Deer Hunter. 191, number eight, Gandhi. 194, number seven, Titanic. Wow, Titanic's that long. Uh, Number six, coming in at 195, Schindler's List. Breaking the 200 mark at 201, number five, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Oh, are you kidding me? I sat through a 200-minute movie. Number four at 204 minutes, Godfather Part Two. Number three at 212, Ben Hur, epic. Oh, for oh sure. yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the movie you mentioned, number two, Lawrence of Arabia at 228. Uh-huh. And then another over romanticized movie of another part of the country, number one at 238 minutes, Gone with the Wind. Oh, Gone with the Wind. So this is, this is. The Academy movie. It's the reason that it won Best Picture in 1991. And we're just going to have to see if it holds up in our estimation of what should be the best picture in our rewatch of movies from the 1991 Oscars. Next up is not a movie that was nominated by the Academy. It was a movie that was nominated by me. By you. I picked our next movie. Tim Burton's seminal film like if you had to show somebody this is what a tim burton film is this is what you would show them it is edward scissorhands edward scissorhands is going to be our next movie betsy are you excited i am i have a great great fondness for this movie so winona Ryder. watch it again kid from the breakfast club except he's all muscly now right it's very disturbing that's right enjoy Edward Scissorhands that will be our next film Betsy thank you so much for not cutting my foot off (laughs) when we were watching this keep my foot we will see you next time bye